0: choices we make them every day some are small and some are big left or right right or wrong lust or love gossip or truth deceit or honesty panic or prayer worry or peace integrity or dishonesty your will or god's will who you are today for good or bad All comes down to the choices you have made along the way. The decisions we make affect our lives 10, 15, 20 years from now. A choice made today will affect our lives tomorrow. So choose wisely.
1: Well, good morning. Let me welcome you again to Crossroads. I'm excited that you're here. Uh, I don't even know what I said that first time I welcomed you because I almost missed it. I'm so not used to having to do the welcome at the very beginning of the service. I was outside, I looked between the slits and the door and the window, and I saw that we were almost at the end of the video, and I thought, oh my gosh, I got to get up there. So I don't know what I said, but <laughs> let, me welcome, let me welcome you again, <laughs> and, and let me tell you how excited I am that you're here. This is week two of our series, Choices. And again, today we're going to talk about the choice to control. But before we do that, let me again welcome those who are joining us Live on Facebook. It's so exciting for me to be able to see that even when our people are not here, they're on vacation, uh, they're enjoying the beach and other parts of our country and other parts of the world. They are actually joining us online. And I say, and again, I said it a while ago, I do remember this. The beauty of this is once you share this to your Facebook page, even if you're in the audience right now, why don't you pick up your smartphone and do that if you have a Facebook page, share it from the Crossroads page to your page, because again, it multiplies the amount of people that we can expose to the life-changing message of Jesus Christ. So I want to encourage you to do that in the auditorium and do that at home. And let me also say this, we start today something we call Throwback Summer back Summer at Crossroads, and you're going to notice that throughout the weeks ahead, we're going to go back and visit some of the older songs, the praise and worship songs that many of us remember and that we grew up listening to. So you saw that one today, Better is One Day. That's an old one. I remember that. Like when music was just starting to change in the church. Uh, and churches, were starting to do praise and worship songs. That's one of the first ones that I remember. Uh, and then again, we'll do some more current ones, but we'll, do, we'll go back and we'll actually do some hymns. We'll add some hymns in. We'll add hymns to praise and worship songs. So it's going to be a really exciting summer. And the thing that I want to encourage you to do is be a part of that. We're giving you a voice. So tell us the songs that you remember, the songs that moved you, the songs that were You know, instrumental in maybe you placing your faith in Jesus Christ and get that song to us. Even those of you that are watching online, go down in the comments section. Uh, I saw Jacqueline had already put down a, a request there for Even If I Fall, which was Mike Cowart's song. Mike Cowart was our original worship leader, uh, and we've already got that song, Jacqueline, but good for you suggesting it. There are other songs that many of you know. uh, If you're watching on Facebook, you can put it in the comments section, or you can actually send us an email, info, info, at crossroads, with an S, crossroadslebanon.com, and we'll take what you suggest and put it in that bank of songs, that library of songs that we already have, and hopefully in the coming weeks, because this will last about three months, uh june july august into september Uh, we'll be doing it every sunday and we hopefully during that time you will be able to hear one of the songs that you suggested it's going to be so good i've been so excited about this and again we love to do things different during the summer because again we know people are in people are out so we're just kind of throwing it back and we're going to have a good time uh again today is week two of our series uh choices and I want to I start, you know, you know, life has a lot of ironies. And, and, and I, I, like most of you would do, I, I Googled some of the I- ironic things that happened. Here's, here's, here's about three or four of these. The largest pur- purchaser of kale in America, this was previous to 2012. The largest purchaser of kale in America, now think about this, how ironic this is. The largest purchaser of kale was Pizza Hut. because they used it as a garnish on their salad bars. Of course, we don't even see a salad bar anymore, hardly now, because of COVID. Here's another thing. The only losing basketball coach in the University of Kansas history is James Naismith, the guy who actually invented basketball. (laughs) This hilarious example of irony proves that just because you thought of the idea doesn't always mean that you'll be successful in executing it. Father of traffic safety, William Enno, Mr. Enno invented the stop sign, the crosswalk, traffic circle, one-way street, and taxi stand, but he never took the time to drive a car. (laughs) And he never learned how to drive. A prime example of irony, as he never got to benefit from his own invention. Now think about this. I did this for my own Carol Farrell. The site where Julius Caesar was murdered in 44 B.C. is now a no-kill animal shelter for homeless cats. (laughs) There you go. (laughs) Irony. There are lots of ironies in life. But you know what I think one of the greatest ironies is? Is our ability to resist God. Now think about that. One of the greatest ironies in life is your and my ability to say no to God. Now think about that. You're saying no to the very creator of the universe. To me, that's one of life's greatest ironies is that you and I have the the guts to be able to say no to the very one who flung the stars and the moon in space that you and I have the ability to say no to the creator of the universe. Everything you see, everything you touch, everything you know, you and I have the ability to say no to the very one who created the kale that goes on the salad bar at Pizza Hut. And it made me think, why do we do that? Why, Why is it that we think we can do that. What are we thinking when we say no to God? I made a list of three things. One of the reasons why I believe we say no to God is because we don't want to give up control, right? One of the reasons why you think that you can say no to God and I think I can say no to God is because, you know what? I don't want to give up control of my life to God. I want to control the things that happen in my life. So, you know what? That's one of the reasons why I feel like I think I can say no to God. You know another reason why I think I can say no to God? Because I'm afraid that God is going to mess with a portion of my life. I'm afraid that God's going to mess with my finances. I'm, a, I'm afraid that God's going to mess with my career. That's another reason why I resist God. That's another reason why I think it's okay for me to say no to God. Another reason why I think some of us think it's okay to say no to God is because we're mad. We're mad at Him. We have something that's happened to us in our life that we didn't see coming, that we didn't expect to happen. And we're mad at him. We don't know whether he caused it. We don't know whether he allowed it. But either way, he didn't do what we wanted. So as we dive into the second week of this very short series, there's a guy that I want to look at in Scripture. And this is a guy that we've looked at before. But here's the thing. Here's the beauty of this story, because this is not a real familiar story with a lot of you. This is actually a guy who, who tries to say no to God. And when we dive into this story, we're actually going to think, how crazy could this guy be? How, how, I mean, he really had to have some, some, some fortitude, some ability to say no to God. How could he actually do this? But here's the thing. Wait, 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 wait. Even though you're going to question how would this guy have the ability, how would he have the ability to say no to God, the thing that I think you're going to notice is that when we look at him, you're going to see a little bit of you, and I'm going to see a little bit of me in him in this story. But there's a difference. Because, see, unlike us, this guy that we're going to look at, unlike us, he actually stood in the presence of Jesus. And I want you to hear me. His agenda was so strong that even though he stood in front in the presence of Jesus, his agenda was so strong that it kept him from surrendering. But. Think about this, because this, this, this is a huge buck. That didn't sound real weird, but you understand what I'm saying. In resisting, in actually trying, this guy, in trying to force his own agenda, you're going to see that this guy actually played right into the hand of God. He played right into the plan of God the actual plan that he was trying to change. In his attempt to say that God was not in control, but he was, he actually illustrated that God was in control. And in spite of what you may think, you can't change God's will. The guy we're talking about is Caiaphas. Caiaphas was the supreme politician. Caiaphas was the the supreme power broker. I mean, this this was a guy, Caiaphas was a guy that you didn't want to cross. He was was a a guy that got his way every time. And the reason why he got his way is because Caiaphas was a guy that demanded his way. I mean, he was a guy who had it all together. And here's the, one, the thing I want you to understand. He consistently was in control. I mean, he's the guy that nobody wanted to cross. He's the guy that when you looked at him, just looking at him, he intimidated you. Caiaphas was the guy who figured out how to get to the top. And being at the top meant that he was going to do whatever it took for him to stay at the top. He was going to do whatever it took for him to keep the power that he had amassed. He was the most powerful Jew in all of Israel. He was the high priest. He was the president of the Sanhedrin, the ruling council of the Jews. He had been empowered by Rome to represent all of the Jewish people to the empire of Rome. Caiaphas was the only Jew that could go into the Holy of Holies and ask for forgiveness for the entire nation. He was the go-to person. Caiaphas was the go-to person. And unlike most high priests, Caiaphas stayed in power for 18 years. As most high priests, they lasted for about four years. But something happens. In the first century, 15 years into the reign of Caiaphas, he met his own match. You see, someone else was starting to come onto the scene. This guy named Jesus was out there in the Judean wilderness, and and, and he was starting to gather a following. And as Jesus would go about the wilderness and and Judea, he he would heal people. He would find people who were blind, people who were lame, people who had uh, all kinds of infirmities, and he he would go to them and he would touch them and he would heal them. And in the moment that he healed them like somebody with leprosy, he would tell them, now here's what I want you to do. I want you to go back, now that you have been healed, I want you to go back to the Pharisees and I want you to show them and I want you to tell them what's happened to you. Now, think about that because most of us don't ever give much thought. Why would Jesus tell those people that he had touched, the lame, the deaf, the blind, those with leprosy, why would he tell them to go back and tell the Pharisees and show the Pharisees what had happened to him? I'll tell you why. The reason Jesus always sent those that he healed back to the Pharisees Is because it was the job of the Pharisees to discover the Messiah. So Caiaphas was always getting a knock on the door. Somebody was always coming to tell him what Jesus had done, show him what Jesus had done in their life. He healed them of leprosy. He had healed them of being deaf or blind or of a crippled limb. They were always telling and showing. Jesus came touching and healing. Jesus came preaching a different message. And it was the job of the Pharisees to discover the Messiah. It was the job of the Pharisees to tell the Jewish people that the Messiah had actually shown up on the scene. I mean, most of us remember actually, you remember the story where the Pharisees actually approached John the Baptist at the Jordan River. And they said, are you the one, John? Are you the one? And what did John the Baptist say? He said, no, no, no. I'm not the one. But keep your eyes open. But as Jesus continued to teach and to preach and to heal, the following that Jesus was amassing was growing day by day. And the Pharisees started to feel their power. They started to feel their influence leaking and eroding away. Because you see, here's the thing. The Pharisees had tried many times to stop Jesus. They, stopped by, they started by telling uh, Jesus that he was not from God, that he was not who he says he was. Time after time, they had twi- tried to quiet him. But then something happens. Finally, Jesus performs a miracle that nobody could ignore. And it was this miracle. It's the very miracle that prompted Caiaphas to come out fighting. This wasn't a miracle where he answered the door when somebody knocked. This was a miracle that he could not resist. He had to come out and fight. He had to come out and confront Jesus. See, the problem the Pharisees had with Jesus was not his theology, although they said that that was it. The problem that the Pharisees had with Jesus was not his ancestry, although they had said that was a problem. But the problem the Pharisees had was that if Jesus was allowed to continue his ministry, then they were going to lose, the Pharisees were going to lose the one thing they valued most, which was power and position. So you know what the Pharisees did? They did the same thing that you and I do when things seem to start falling apart. When you see your power eroding, when you see your position eroding, when you see life starting to slip through your fingers, the Pharisees did the very same thing that you and I would do. They leveraged their power for their own selfish ambition. So let me set up what's about to happen in John chapter 11. Right before this, Jesus had performed the miracle of all miracles in bringing a dead man back to life i mean many of us in this room and many of those watching online we know the story we know the story of lazarus and up to this point jesus had just healed people of blindness of leprosy of of a a a, a twisted limb or, or or being deaf But this time, what Jesus did, he stood outside the tomb of a very popular, not just a popular man, but a very wealthy man's tomb, and he called this dead man out of the tomb. And when that happened, people were were mesmerized. And those people who had been on the fence about whether they were going to believe that Jesus is who he says he was, that he actually was the son of God, that he actually was the Messiah because Jesus had stood outside the tomb of Lazarus and called him from death back to life. People looked at that and they said, wow, I don't have to sit on the fence anymore. I don't have to wonder that Jesus is actually who he says he is. I've been on the fence. I've had my doubts. But you know what? Now, because of what he's done, because of this miracle, now there's no doubt, I believe. We don't care what the Pharisees say. Because when a man brings a dead man back to life, I'm going with him. And that's the thing I would say, wouldn't you? (laughs) I mean, if, if a man brings a dead man back to life, I'm with him. I don't care what their theology is. I'm going to go with the man who brings the dead man back to life. Let's look at John 11 and let's dive into the story. Because this is so interesting. I hope this morning that I can paint a side of this or a picture of this that you've never seen before. John chapter 11, starting at verse 45. Therefore, again, this is after the, 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 the resurrection of Lazarus. Therefore, many of the Jews who had come to visit Mary, who was his sister and had seen what Jesus did, what did they do? Because of what they saw, they believed. Because of what they saw, they they put their faith in Jesus. But some of them went to the Pharisees and told them what Jesus had done. Now, now here's the thing. And again, I kind of love this. And I'm glad I don't have to put up with some of the things that some pastors have to put up in some churches. But this next sentence is just... Is just really interesting look at what it says then the chief priests and the pharisees called a meeting oh isn't that a church i mean you know what i'm saying (laughs) i mean again my heritage and i I, and i bless god for my heritage i would not be here without my heritage and i don't want anybody to think i'm slamming anybody i'm just kind of remembering what i grew up experiencing can i get an amen i grew up in the baptist church and they always had to have a meeting am i right I mean, you got the committee, the committee on committees, the committee on committee on committee on committees. I mean, it's just like, I'm like, guys, do we have to meet about everything? Well, apparently that's the truth. And apparently it goes back thousands of years in history because it says, then because of something that's happened, the chief priests and the Pharisees called a meeting of the Sanhedrin and said, what are we accomplishing? That's what they ask. Here is this man performing many miraculous signs. If we let him go on like this, everyone will believe in him. Now look at what it says. And then the Romans will come and take away both our place and our nation. That's interesting. Because here's the thing. They feel that power and position starting to slip through their fingers. Then one of them named Caiaphas who was high priest that year, spoke up. Now look at what he says. You know nothing at all. You do not realize that it is better for you that one man die for the people than the whole nation perish. Caiaphas, the high priest, says, you you, you don't get it. It's better for this man to die than the whole nation to perish. It's better for him to die than for the whole nation to lose our power and our position. Again, I love what it says in verse 47. Why is it that when religious people get scared, why is it that when religious people get threatened, they feel like they have to call a meeting? When they think there's a problem, they call a meeting. But see, here's, here's the thing. Let, let, me, let me give you my, my take on this. When we see this and we read this and how it happened, you know, for me, it's easy to say, well, what's the big deal? I mean, the guy brought the guy back to life. Jesus brought a man from death to life. What's the big deal? Why, why can't we just get behind him? I mean, why can't we get behind Jesus. Why, why not just go with, with Jesus and, and the message that Jesus, even though it's different from the Pharisees' message, why can't we just get behind the message that Jesus is preaching? And I'll tell you the answer to those questions. The reason they can't get behind Jesus and the message of Jesus and the actions of Jesus, believing that Jesus is who he says he is and will do what he said he will do, the reason they can't get behind that Is because there's something in them. And there's something in me. There's something in us. See, there's something in us that when something happens in our world, listen, when our little world gets rocked, when that stuff that you've worked so hard to build and control starts to unravel, When you see the things in life that are so valuable to you start to slip through your fingers, you know what you do? You go into damage control. That's the very same thing you see happening with the Pharisees. You go into damage control. When you think things are slipping through your fingers, you, you, you start thinking things that you've never thought before. And the reason you do that is so that you can control the outcomes and make things go your way. Verse 48 says, then the Romans will come and take away our perks. That's not what it really said. But I paraphrase that. That's my own words because I wanted you to be able to understand it. The Romans are going to come and take away our perks. What it actually said is the Romans will come come and take away both our place and our nation. And what they're really saying is we have to stop Jesus because here's the thing. If we don't stop him, we have a lot to lose. We have to do something. We have to save and maintain. Now think about that. If we don't do something about Jesus, then we have a lot to lose. So we have to save and maintain. And see, here's the thing. All of us in this room, all of you watching online, all of you listening online, you need to realize at some point following Jesus is going to cost you something, right? At some point, if you choose to follow Jesus, listen to what I'm saying, it's going to cost you something. At some point, following Jesus is going to cost you something. And for some of you, it may have already happened. Listen to me. I'm not trying to be negative. I'm trying to be honest, and I'm trying to present the Scriptures to you as clearly and concisely as I can. But the Gospels all the way through Revelation... Tells us that during the last days, the followers of Jesus are going to be persecuted. Are you beginning to feel that right now? Because listen, following Jesus at some point is going to cost you something. At some point, following Jesus or continuing to follow Jesus, it's going to cost you something. So here's the thing. Somewhere in your life, something's gonna rock your world, and you have to decide if you're going to continue to follow Jesus or you're going to abandon him. Are you going to continue to follow Jesus? Or are you going to abandon him and what you believe? Abandon your morality and your values and take control to protect what I have worked so hard to develop. Let me tell you, I explained last week how I have had several of my pastor friends give up their churches. Several of my pastor friends uh, commit suicide. Can I also tell you something else that I know that has happened? Several of my pastor friends have walked away from the faith denouncing their faith in Jesus Christ, the very one they said they believed in, the very one they preached and spoke and taught about. Because here's the thing, at some point you're going to come to a crossroads and you're going to say at that crossroads, I'm going to continue to believe and to follow Jesus or I'm going to abandon him. At some point you're going to be confronted with that. because you want to control the things in life, those things that you have worked so hard to develop. Somewhere along the way, the things that you have built so you have worked so hard to build are going to start slipping through your fingers. Your finances, your health, your marriage, your boyfriend, your girlfriend, And you're going to be faced with a dilemma. Do I continue to follow Jesus even if I lose? Do I continue to follow Jesus even if I lose? Or do I go into damage control and try to maintain everything that I've built for myself? But look at verse 49. Caiaphas says, you know nothing at all. You don't know what you're talking about. Again, that's not what he said, but I paraphrase that. But Caiaphas was saying, listen, listen, Pharisees, listen, people, you're, you're also worried about Jesus. But do you not understand, do you not understand the power that we have? Have you forgotten who we are? Because you apparently don't understand that we're the ones who have the leverage. That's what Caiaphas was saying. I want you to understand we're the ones who have the power. We're the ones who have the leverage. We're the ones who have control. We're the ones who can make the decision what happens to this man, Jesus. But if you skip down to verse 53, here's what it says. It says, from that day on, we know they plotted. They plotted to take his life. From that day on, they plotted to take the life of Jesus. And we all know the story. Eventually, they arrested him, and eventually they killed him. And you read that, and you think, how could they? How could they actually do that? How bad could you be? They were evil. And see, now listen, listen, listen. Here's where this principle touches down in my life. Now, I want you to listen to me, especially somebody, there's somebody that's listening, listening online that I know this is specifically for. See, there's a principle, and the principle touches down in my life. And the principle is this, when you begin to believe that everything that you own, your car, your house, your business, all that you have, your family, your income, your 401k, when you begin to believe that all of that, your abilities, when you believe and operate on the premise that all I have is the result of me and my work, and my abilities, then listen. With that assumption that it's all the result of me, with that assumption comes the pressure to maintain it in the very same way that you achieved it. In other words, if all that you have came just from your hard work, then the assumption is the only way to keep it is going to be through your hard work. And then when it's threatened, it's up to you to protect it all. Even though you might not admit it, if you act as if you are who you are because of you, then you're going to live with the pressure To maintain it. And if you live that way long enough, when all of a sudden you reach that point in life when life starts slipping through your hands, your income, your relationships, your finances. When all of a sudden the things that you have built start to erode then your natural knee-jerk reaction is to do whatever you need to do to protect it. And that in itself has the potential to lead you to all kinds of what I would say are very unhealthy extremes. Again, it's the very reason why you have watched people in the news, men and women, amass financial wealth, And they ignore their spouse. They ignore their kids. And they do it all in an effort to maintain and protect what they have built. And we think, you know, that's a horrible trade-off. But here's the thing. Here's the thing I say. Here's the thing I say. What choice do they have? They think they got it all. They think they did it all. They think they did it all. They amassed it all through their own hard work. So naturally, the only way to maintain everything that they have built, everything that they have amassed, is to maintain that and save that through their own hard work. You see, somewhere along the way, Many of us in this room, many of you watching online, have started to believe that we can control outcomes. You think that you're in control. I mean, think about it. You finally got the guy. You finally got the girl. You finally got that relationship that you wanted. Three months, six months, a year into it, guess what happens? It starts to unravel. It starts to actually seep between your fingers. And you're so afraid of losing them that in fear you just clamp down. And you do all kinds of things that you would normally not do to try to keep the relationship together. You start doing things that you know are outside of God's will. But you have to do or you feel like you have to do what you have to do to be able to maintain the relationship. Maybe your kids go down a wrong path that you don't want them to go. Maybe your kids go down a path that you don't think is good for them. So, what do you do? You start doing all kinds of things, all kinds of tricks, all kinds of manipulation, all kinds of stuff that you have always said that you would never do, all to make sure that your kids do exactly what you think they should do. Maybe you've worked your tail off at work trying to build a reputation. But then you find out that somebody at work has said something about you. And you get worried. You're worried that it's going to wreck the reputation that you worked so hard to create. And they're clearly in the wrong for saying what they said about you. But you start to cross all kinds of lines to make sure you discredit them, all because you have to maintain the image that you have worked so hard to build. Now, here's what's interesting. I gave you three examples. But the thing, same thing is true in all three of those examples. If that's what happens to you in all of those cases, You know what you end up doing? You end up in a wrestling match with God, trying to control the situation. You're actually wrestling with God at the very same time that you need him the most. And let me tell you this morning, if you're in a wrestling match with God, that's a wrestling match that nobody wins. Because at the end of the story, you will actually substantiate what you have worked so hard to fight off. You will have actually underscored what God has been trying to tell you all along. And that's this. You don't control outcomes. You don't control outcomes. See, there's a goal here. And the goal is this. The goal is that you learn to keep your hands open. And in keeping your hands open, you just confess with your mouth that the Lord gives and the Lord takes away. The Lord gives and the Lord takes away. The Lord gives and the Lord takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. See, see, the goal is to get your heart to a place where you can say from your heart, I will not abandon the principles of God in order to maintain the blessings of God. Look behind me. I will not abandon the principles of God in order to maintain the blessings of God. That's the, that's the desire. That's the place you want to get to. That's the place you want your heart to be where you can say it from your heart. No matter what happens, I will not abandon the principles of God in order to maintain the blessings of God. I believe that God has me in this relationship. I believe that God has me in this business, and I will say God gives and God takes away, and I will not find myself at odds with my heavenly Father, even if the Romans come and take away my nation. I will not abandon God or my values in the middle of a crisis. And this is one of those things that really that's really difficult for me. Because from the very early years of my life, I have always been competitive. Let me just be transparent for a minute. Ever since I was a young kid, I've always been competitive. I like to win. And I loved to play basketball when I was young. My dad played high school basketball, and was very good. I love basketball. But most of the time when I played basketball, as you might expect, I sat on the bench because I just wasn't that good. I mean, I looked pretty good in a pair of shorts, but again, (laughs) I just wasn't that good. And I didn't get to play as much as other people. So things didn't turn out the way that I wanted them to turn out. So here's the thing I want you to hear me say. To this very day, I get frustrated in life. Whether I'm working on things at church or something other in some other area of my life, I get frustrated if I can't get them to turn out like I want them to turn out. and the reason i'm telling you this is because this is dangerous because knowing that things aren't turning out the way i want them to turn out the danger is that i jump in and try to control the outcome because i want to win like many of you i want to be right like many of you anybody else struggle with that your marriage your parenting your work I want to win. I want to be right. I I, I want everything to turn out the way that I wanted it to turn out. So with that in mind, several years ago, I went to a friend and I was talking to him and I was explaining something that was going on in my life and, and said, you know, I really need to get this deal done. I really need to make this happen. And the reason I would tell somebody something And this would include some of you is because I believe within them is wisdom and spiritual, you know, tenacity and and something that I need. And I told them, here's the deal I'm trying to get done. Here's something that I want to happen. And here's what he said. Randy, do you think up until this point that you have done everything that God asked you to do? And I said, yes, I do. And he said something that I will never forget. Hence the very reason why I'm giving it to you today. And again, if you're a note taker, this is something you need to write down. He said, Randy, if you win you win. And if you lose, you win. Because you're going to trust God with the outcome. If I win, I win. Now, think about that. And if I lose, I win. Because my responsibility is just to be obedient, right? to just be obedient and trust God with the outcome. And it's been difficult for me, very difficult for me. But I'm trying to allow that principle. Alex, go back to that, that we were where we were just a while ago. I'm trying to allow that principle to touch down in every area of my life these days. I mean, just imagine if every one of us in this room and all of those who are watching online, imagine if all of us took that principle and let that principle touch down in every, every area of our life. I mean, every time you do a deal, every time you're up for a raise, every time you lose your job, every time you have a relationship that is starting to fail and fall apart. If I win, I win. And if I lose, I win. because I'm just going to trust God with the outcomes of my life. Because here's the alternative. Think about Caiaphas. I'm going to make you think about this in a way you've never thought about it before. Here's Caiaphas, a guy who's trying to sacrifice everything in order to stay in control. He sacrificed all of his laws, his morality, just to get rid of Jesus. And he did that so that he could protect his power and his position. But guess what happened a few years later? Guess what happened a few years later? Guess what the Romans did just a few years later? They took away his power. They took away his nation, and he could do absolutely nothing about it. Guess what else they did? They destroyed the temple. And they destroyed the temple in such a fashion that the stones that were actually used to build the temple were dragged so far away from Jerusalem that they could never rebuild the temple again so far away that they could never rebuild it. And I want you to think about what I'm about to say. The only reason we're talking about Caiaphas today is because in his ability, in his desire to maintain control and to go against the will of God, Caiaphas actually became an instrument in accomplishing God's will. See, here's what's ironic about this. In Caiaphas doing what Caiaphas did, Caiaphas put himself out of a job. If you think about it. Because in having Jesus crucified, in sending the Lamb of God to the cross, take away the sins of the world. This is so good. Because of the actions of Caiaphas, from that moment on, there was no need for a high priest. From that point on, there was no need for a temple. Because the ultimate sacrifice had been made through the person of Jesus Christ. See, here's the thing I want you to hear me say. You did not make who you are. You did not make who you are. God did. So it's not your responsibility to control the outcomes of your life. Your responsibility It's to God and to just be obedient and say, you know what? If I win, I win. And if I lose, I win. Because, God, I'm going to trust you with the outcomes in my life. Because, see, you're going to hit that moment. You're going to hit that moment when things start to slip away. When you feel like everything in your life is starting to slowly, slowly, slowly slip away. in that moment, you're going to have to say, I will not try to control and maintain what I cannot control and maintain. Because if you do try to control and maintain, when you do, you not only limit what God can do, you not only limit when you try to control and maintain what God could place in your hand, You're actually squeezing out of your hands the things in life that you love and cherish the most. And at the end of the day, when you actually need God the most, if you're trying to save and maintain, you're actually at odds with Him. So here's a question for you. Where in your life right now are you sacrificing what you know is right in order to control outcomes? What is that area in your life right now that you would say that you're so afraid that you're going to lose what you work so hard for? Where in your life right now are you saying, if I don't, it won't. If she don't, I won't. If he don't. I won't. Do you know what you're saying when you say that? If you're trying to control and maintain, you're saying, God, I realize you created the universe. God, I realize that you created cicadas. We don't understand it, but you created them, and they're bothering people all across the country right now. God, we know you created 600 different kinds of beetles when one would have done. God, we know there's no snowflake that is exactly like another snowflake. But if you're trying to control and maintain the outcomes of your life, you know what you're saying to God? You're saying, God, talk to the hand. I'm afraid you can't handle this. And this is big. This is what we say when we say, I have to take the reins. I have to take control because if I don't, it won't. If I don't, she won't. If I don't, he won't. But at the end of the day, you're going to discover something. And the thing that you're going to discover is something I'm telling you. You don't control the outcomes. You know what you need to do in the morning? You just need to look to the heavens and you just need to say, God, If I win, I win. And if I lose, I win. Because my job is to just be obedient. And I'm going to leave the outcome to you. Would you bow your heads and pray with me, please? God, it's so hard for us as human beings, your creation, to surrender to you the things that we feel like we've worked so hard to accomplish. Relationships, businesses, wealth, cars, houses. We think it's ours. We think we did it. But God, you have gifted us each individually differently. And you gifted us in ways that you have allowed us to accomplish the things that we have accomplished. But it's only happened at your discretion and by your hand. We don't control any of it. And if we try to control, if we try to maintain and to to save the things that we think we have accomplished, we short-circuit the very things that you want to do in our life. And we end up squeezing out of our hands the very things that matter the most to us. And we become at odds with you. So the best thing that we can do today, God, is just surrender to you. And to say, if I win, I win. And if I lose, I win. But I'm just going to surrender and be obedient to God. And trust him with the outcomes of my life. God, thank you for the clarity that was mined out of this scripture the story of Caiaphas, who actually, in his opposition to God, played into God's will. God, do in our lives what only you can do as we ask this prayer in Jesus' name. Amen.